In today's episode of the Cubercast podcast, we will have Michael Chai, also known as Michael Chai Tea Latte, on Twitch on the podcast. All right. So uh, the first question is, who are you for the viewers who don't know you? Yeah, uh, thank you. So my name is obviously Michael Chai, um, as you guys mentioned already. But for the most part, for people who don't know me, basically, I'm a speedcuber. I've been speedcubing for, I would say, six years. And honestly, like Twitch is something that's pretty new to me. And for the most part, the thing that I'm proud of most or the thing that I do most in speedcubing is I'm a WCA delegate. Uh, I've been a delegate for a couple of years now recently promoted to a full delegate and i just basically host comps organize comps compete and then yeah as of recently with the pandemic um i've been going on twitch for keeping content and i started doing keeping content myself and that's what a lot of people know me for now these days just doing random things on twitch uh having fun vibing for the most part all the podcast members me humble and carter we've all we've all streamed in the past it's fun you know um and speedcubing as a whole is pretty new to Twitch. Like Kevin Hayes, he's been doing Twitch on, he's been speedcubing on Twitch for a while. But like the first uh, Twitch stream I watched was like in November of 2019 for Laser Monkey. And then I forgot that Twitch existed pretty much. And I watched it again in March for cubing at home. And it's just a year old. The Rubik's Cube category had a big explosion after Monkey League. So yeah, I think cubing for Twitch is really, it's really good to expand it. And just a really fun experience to do it live and interact with people. Whereas like YouTube, it's just a scripted video or something like that. Michael was actually the first cubing Twitch stream I've ever watched. About nine months ago, I literally just found out that cubing on Twitch was a thing. It was actually the first stream that popped up on the very top. And I decided to watch him and it's actually really great. I wanted to mention real quick, like I did remember Humble when he came into the stream too. So like he was, uh, I guess just asking about what I was doing and stuff like that. But um also mentioning that um just like how how interesting i guess the content was at the time and I, humble you said you were new right when you were doing that or when you were there yeah you're actually my first cubing twitch stream i was ever on yeah i guess for me it, it makes it more interesting to build relationships through the chat almost um it's a little bit different dynamic but i, I guess that's what also makes it um, interesting as well but i just wanted to point that out like I, I remember you from like the very beginning too like when i was like doing one viewer <laughs> um unfortunately i was probably one of the most like you were probably one of the more recent streamers that i've seen at least like i've i think my first uh stream that i watched was monkey league and i think i saw you like in january or something and you were actually a pretty big inspiration i started doing a stream grind just get affiliate uh and that worked out really good. I have affiliate now, and I don't really stream on Twitch that much anymore. But um, yeah, it's definitely a big inspiration. Another really inspiring thing is like the evolution of Chai. I remember I was watching. I, I used to watch his streams and ask for stuff like chroma keying when I was starting out streaming. And I remember his webcam quality like wasn't the best. It was totally better than mine, but it wasn't like on par with what it is now. And it was just really cool to see how how he came from where he was before, and he is where he is now, which is just insane. So, getting on to our next question, now that Twitch cubing is becoming more popular, we're seeing a lot more people join cubing Twitch and live streaming themselves. Do you have any tips for some beginner streamers? Uh, yeah, actually, I get this question all the time in the chat. Um, it's not really something that I'm used to answering still, um, because I guess for me... Well, I guess objectively in Twitch, I, I wouldn't say that I'm a very big streamer. 
Um, but by the percentages and by, I would say, the Cuban community, because there are so few, um, it's actually um, quite larger than I thought my channel was. So I'm getting a lot of those questions. But I would say the biggest tip to starting your stream is to not fret so much about it. Because I think people who are interested in the idea of streaming, people who are actually enjoying the process of streaming, um, you don't need the best overlay. You don't need the best content. Um, you don't even need to be the most social person. I'm, as most people probably don't know, I'm an extremely introverted person. Um, you don't need all those qualities. You just, if you want to stream, just stream. So like, it doesn't matter. Just build something super quick, start streaming, download whatever software you want. The process is, can you can make it really quick. And don't get, don't get discouraged by the numbers. Um, I, I would say that for a streamer for me, I would say these days I'm probably averaging around 15. I've been cutting it back a little bit. Um, I've been averaging about 15, but what I'll do is open and honestly, I will try and raid people who I think are a little bit lower in the category usually. That's generally how I like to prioritize it because that's how people treated me. So I just feel like I'm trying to give back a little bit. But just a little secret too, I'm a, I'm a sucker for overlays. So if you do have a good overlay, chances are I will raid you. Um, but yeah, don't worry too much about the numbers. Because even if the raids happen, uh, the big streamers pay attention to what you're doing. Um, that doesn't make people stay. At the end of the day, you have to enjoy what you're doing. Um, and to start that, you just need to get started, basically. That's how you know if you like it. So what I remember, one of my biggest raids was from Kianoas. Uh, he raided about 19 people. And then I saw within two minutes, it went from like 22 to 1. It literally, no, I, that's actually what happened. Like it literally went from 22 to 1. I got about maybe two follows out of it. So yeah, having like raids isn't like, oh my God, this is like so life changing. Everything's going to change. I'm going to get so many followers. Uh, that's not really how it goes. You just have to enjoy streaming, and that's why I've kind of stopped, because I didn't really enjoy streaming anymore. But when I did enjoy it, I definitely thought that um, I was streaming for the right reasons, not just to gain followers and all that. Yeah, about one or two months ago, I actually hopped on one of Chai's streams. It was during Monkey League was actually going on, and he actually did give me some great advice. I was basically saying, I know he asked if I was going to stream that day. I said no, basically, because I wasn't going to have very many viewers. And then he spent like the next like three minutes talking on about how the viewership doesn't really matter and I should go stream kind of motivated me to go stream that day. And that day I actually got an average viewer count of about eight people, which was actually really good for me at the time. Yeah, for me, I a big part of my Twitch success is my YouTube channel. Like I started Twitch when I had around 700 subscribers and I used to say I was going live on my YouTube channel before going live on Twitch, which wasn't the best way to get viewers. I mean... They're two totally different platforms, so that wasn't the smartest decision, but yeah, I, for me, I used to get like 20 viewers on my stream because I shouted them out on YouTube, but then I stopped doing the YouTube shoutouts because I knew it was pretty annoying instead of having like regular uploads, just shouting out that I'm going on Twitch, and I started getting less viewers, but I didn't care about the numbers, I just cared about how it felt more organic, and streaming, I haven't streamed in a really long time because school, school is pretty tough. But I really want to go back to streaming, and I can't wait till school's over so I can stream and upload more. Okay, um, so the next question is, how do you balance streaming and your day-to-day -day life, and do you ever feel burnt out? Yeah, so kind of like what Karchik was mentioning, I, I kind of like that segue. Um, what Karchik was mentioning, like how you're busy with school and stuff like that, the way streaming works, 
like if if you were to have a growth mentality to streaming i would say that every single person who recommends how to grow on twitch is not doing what i'm doing which is streaming way too much on twitch and not making any youtube content so basically what you want to do to grow is if anyone is trying to trying to hack basically you use a really big youtube following youtube channel bring it to twitch and then they'll follow you because they're just interested in who you are like that's um that's pretty much where probably i would say kevin hayes got a lot of his viewership at the beginning um i would say laser monkey at the beginning um card trick um like you said like you too i I would definitely say that's probably the case um keaton ellis and it's not bad at all like if you have really good youtube content chances are they'll follow you to twitch too um they're just really engaged and they want to know you more they want to engage with you from more of a a more intimate perspective um so the way that i did it the way that i am doing it still is i stream for way too long so basically there's no way to people for people to discover you unless you're live so there was a period where i was streaming like almost eight hours a day nine hours a day so just the chances of how many people i would encounter because i was live was a lot higher oh what ended up happening was I did get burnt out. I, I didn't balance it with the rest of my work life, my personal life. Like, it wasn't balanced at all. Um, and I would say I even pushed through the burnout a little bit. Um, and then I just kind of, I took it easy a little bit. I, I realized it was a little bit of a problem. Like, I wasn't having the energy to bring it to the stream anymore. Like, I was giving people less reason to to stay. I, I think the things I was saying... Um, the energy I was bringing wasn't enjoyable to the people watching. So that's when I realized the burnout was affecting the content. And then instead of pushing through it, I took a little bit of a breather, like a week or two. And then some other things started happening. I had some errands that I had to take care of, some life things to take care of. Like right now, if anyone's listening at this moment, I'm shopping for a car. So that's the reason why I'm not really um, streaming that much because it's eating up a lot of my personal time. But after that first burnout experience, I've definitely appreciated working on a balance more. And that's what I'm working on right now. Like, burnout is a very real thing. People say, oh, Twitch streaming is very easy. You just play video games. And for some of the platform, it is kind of true. Like, Twitch has kind of evolved from gaming into stuff I won't mention here. So, because they're probably children watching. But um, all of the podcast hosts, we're minor, so we don't have... We don't have jobs, and we don't have to do stuff like car shopping, as you mentioned. Like, so we won't get burnt out from stuff like that. But it's a very real thing when it comes to being an adult. Uh, so yeah, maybe we should like go to the place in Peter Pan so we don't have to go car shopping or whatever. But like, actually, streaming on Twitch, especially for cubing, it's to interact with chat and solve plastic toys. It's harder than it looks, but it's not as hard. I don't know really how to explain it, but. Oh yeah, actually, I interrupt you, but that's a good point. That's a really good yeah. point. Like, if I'm at home and I'm not recording, it's not about the pressure that gets me worse solves. It's the fact that I'm not. I realize that I'm not paying at, at um at all any attention to the solves that I'm doing because I'm reading the chat. Because <laughs> yeah, so all I'm like doing yeah, I get the solves that are way slower than I normally am, and then I'm like, okay, well, after this realization. I'm not going to get my best times on stream. And it's not because of the pressure. So, KTK, you're you're absolutely right there. Yeah, my yeah. solves are a lot worse when I'm streaming and recording. But, you know, I do it to interact with the people. Not, exactly. Not to get that's, 
I got like a forty-five on stream, and like that's I'm I'm so sad about I'm so sad about myself. I averaged sub twelve. Like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I thought you were talking no. about Mega. Oopsie. Oh. <laughs> like forty-five is pretty good for Mega Carter. <laughs> yeah. <it is. laughs> mention how um you did mention nerves earlier and how it wasn't nerves. It was focusing on chat. What I did find those Twitch streams actually did kind of help with my nerves a little bit. So now when I'm recording better times but twitch chat with my nerves i know people are watching so i think it's just kind of good practice to get over some of those nerves yeah i agree because it, it basically trains you to deal with i guess distractions and eyes in a way that you're probably not used to um just you can get ready for competitions using twitch i can totally see that happening i think people in real life versus online the the pressure will be you will definitely feel a lot more in real life um but just the i guess the the benefit of you're going to solve worse on Twitch is you're going to be more prepared to solve while there, there are stimuli around you. You're a little bit distracted. That's like good. At the end of the day, if you can solve it unconscious, subconsciously and get decent times, that's a good thing. So it trains you in a way. Uh, all right, let's go down to the next question. So why do you like Megamix? Uh, you know, I was thinking about this a lot just like over the years because I've been doing Megamix, I would say, since 2016 and i started in 2015 I, I picked it up pretty quickly um i started when the galaxy b no that's wrong i started when the yuhu the original yuhu came out and that was trash um it was so bad the ridges i'm pretty sure at the time like 2016 people considered that hardware to be bad like i think megaminx probably had some of the worst hardware at the time probably on par with squan 2016 i'm not sure when the cheese Squan came out it was all coming around the same time, but it was pretty bad on par with Squan. Clock was definitely worse. Um, but I wasn't sure if I liked Megaminx because I was good at it or because I liked it as an event. Um, but if I think about it, I think I just liked how much freedom I had. Because when I started, I wasn't really averaging that good. I was averaging maybe 233 minutes. Um, when I got the Galaxy, it cut down on my times a little bit. But yeah, I just liked how easy it was to learn compared to 3x3. And I liked how, as I got better at it, I realized the more and more it's actually different from 3x3 in terms of how much flexibility I have with each solve. Yeah. Um, so if you uh, know me and KTK, we both have a very <laughs> bitter rival. Uh, um, we have a very, bitter, a very bitter rivalry in uh, Megaminx. So yeah. It definitely sort of motivates me a little bit, like, just to be, like, sometimes I remember, oh, oh, God, like, I would, I think, like, before I was sub 1, I, the main reason why I was practicing was to beat KTK in 2.1, and I did it, so, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't do that anymore, because that's dumb, but, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely, it, it motivates me a little bit, just to see that I'm a little bit faster. And KTK yeah. at times. Now I'm like pretty slow, like 55. It's and and you're almost sub 50. So yes, yeah. yeah. What kind of motivated me in the beginning is I actually was racing people as well. There are people from the speed solving forums. We had this uh, group of DM running, and it was me, King Canyon, and Nathan Miles. I know you guys probably know Nathan Miles, but we oh, yeah. were all actually racing in Mega Mix, and that's what kind of inspired me. At the time when I first started, I was averaging like 220. I was terrible at Mega like nine months ago. And then I started doing a ton of it. And then I eventually improved. And now I'm averaging about 120. Mm -hmm. Nice. My main motivation for Mega Minx, uh, look, 
this kind of this is kind of embarrassing, but in like January or February of 2021, I was so garbage at Mega. I averaged like three minutes, and I was like, I was begging Owen for help. I'm like, please help me, please critique my problem so bad. So I I was averaging like three minutes on the YooHoo, and then I just started grinding, and then I got the Dian, and then that let me grind even more since it's really light, so I can do a lot of solves. And yeah, now I'm almost sub 50. So yeah, Mega Minx is really fun because you have freedom to do stuff like block building, which you can't do on three by three, unless you use like ZZ or something. All right. When do you think that in-person competition? will come back and what do you think they will look like such as a mask wearing and social distancing yeah so i i definitely don't think this is private information but as far as i'm aware in terms of like um the united states there is um i believe we have to cut down a certain number of new covid19 cases per day in order for competitions to be approved because when we approve a competition in the United States, I don't think there's going to be a really solid way to prevent people from wanting to fly into a competition, especially since so many people are interested in going back, like they're craving comps. And if we have a lot of people coming from different states um, signing up for competitions in, I don't know, like Montana, right? Like if that were to happen, um, then that could potentially cause a risk. And the thing about competitions is that it's not just the kids, it's the parents it's the uh, people who are probably in their mid-20s, maybe mid-30s who are competing as well. So that's always something to look at. In terms of my own personal opinion, when I think comps will come back, if you guys saw the, um, I think, well, today's date is the, the May 15th. If you guys saw the, the new CDC updates, if you're fully vaccinated, you don't need to wear masks anymore, outdoors and indoors. Did you guys see that? Yeah, that was pretty. Yeah, it it was kind of. I mean, yeah. it wasn't really old news, but it's it was a bit controversial. News. Yeah, like, it's definitely I... at the very least controversial. So, like, mm-hmm. people are like curious about it. People are saying like, I'm still gonna wear a mask anyways. But what that tells me is that we're we're basically moving very quickly towards a future with no no longer needing a mask mandate for the entire country. Um, the only issue is probably like people trying to forge fake documentation to say like I am. Yeah, like, that's a big business oh, yeah. now. Yeah, that's fake action cards stopping it. Yeah, but I'm assuming once the state hits a certain number, they're gonna let it go. And then for comparison, California has been way under the the normal case count for a a long time already, and we're extremely vaccinated, almost like eighty percent or something like that. Oh wow. You guys wow. see like you guys could see like socal vlog content just on youtube like that yeah. entire all county is bloggers. open they're all open so I, I would say we're closer than we think like we're still just living in a situation where we're all scared to take off our mask myself included mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. we're closer than we think like i i wouldn't be surprised if maybe not worlds but in theory if na champs were to happen the same time worlds is at december it would definitely happen, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, so yeah. I read on the WCA forums, um, I know this is not private information because it's public on the, fo- on the WCA forums, that uh, Bob Burns said that if the seven-day average is below 27,000 cases, uh, then we might see comps happen again. Now, that's not confirmed, that's not definite, but 
Uh, being myself, I've checked the COVID count like every single day because we're headed very, very close uh, below that number. I think it's like at 34,000 right now. So, mm. yep. and it's falling steadily. So we're pretty close, but it's not, of course, of course, it's not guaranteed or anything like that. So it's definitely, yeah. like Chai said, we're closer than we think. And then if just to just to add on to that real quickly, so like it, for me, like I could very quickly form a competition in California and probably have it be safe. There'd probably be some sort of like safety precautions, maybe some sort of cap competitor limit, um, spectator limit potentially. Um, but that's just for California or just for where I am. Like I can't prevent people from wanting to come into a place where it's a bigger problem. Um, and that's just not going to be within my bounds. So that's a reason why, even though I'm in a very safe place, I can't hold it because I have to take the whole country into perspective. And also, even though it sounds like a long time, um, most good competitions, um, the organization period will take a few months anyways. So if I say that yeah. a competition could happen in December, what I basically just said, it, it means that I pretty much have to get started organizing it in like September at least get the ball rolling um there's like at least 30 days out that you need to announce it um it's been so long that i forgot the actual grace period but to have a good competition and have everything run the way you want it to go a long about like two three months of preparation is helpful and the only reason that isn't the case is if everyone is just like it's a well-oiled machine everyone knows exactly what to do you set a deadline you set a task to do and it's done within the hour something like that and the team is just like They've worked with each other for years, which is basically what we've been doing for a while. Um, but yeah, good competitions will need a few months anyways. So if I say December, there's a competition, um, that's very, very close. Yeah, um, adding on to what I said earlier about the vaccines, I'm pretty sure like forging vaccine cards is a big business now. And people will just say, oh, I'm vaccinated. I don't have to wear a mask, but they're like not actually vaccinated. So yeah, that's a problem. It's like America, some Americans probably won't be honest if they're vaccinated and just continue not wearing masks and not caring so yeah if you can please get vaccinated i'm getting my first shot next wednesday so that's really cool yep and yeah we'll be vaxxed as well nice yeah i got my first shot uh today my arm is like super sore so Mm -hmm. um yeah definitely get vaccinated because not only will it open the road to like a lot more things it might even open the road to cubing competitions so just think of it that way think of it that way you also get a free donut too so that's kind of cool oh yeah the donut the donut's (laughs) a reason to get the vaccine but yeah in all seriousness um most cubers are above the age of 12 so if you are make sure to go out and get the vaccine they're pretty i'm pretty sure you can just like walk into cvs and get the vaccine don't like literally as carter said your arm's gonna hurt and that's it and it, it'll be for the greater good of society so yeah make sure to go and get that vaccine and yeah. the worst thing that could happen is bill gates gives you a microchip for legal reasons that is a joke bill gates will not give you a microchip through the vaccine actually go get the vaccine <laughs> yeah. If I, yeah if i'm not mistaken real quickly since we're on the topic I, I won't spend too much more time on it but just to uh point out that the vaccine the way that it works is that it gives you basically when you're exposed to the COVID-19 virus, it gives you like a 99, the efficacy, it gives you a percentage of not um, getting sick from it. So theoretically, yes, people can still get sick, even though they're fully vaccinated. It's just when the entire population is vaccinated, there's no place for the virus to jump. And then each person it jumps to like 95% efficacy, 
basically there's a 95% chance your body will defend against it, which is super high compared to mm-hmm. what I believe a lot of other vaccines can pull. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so just, just to, so people know, theoretically, you can still get sick. It's just greatly reduced. Mm-hmm. Okay, so moving on to the next question. What equipment do you use for streaming, like your camera, microphone, and your software? Like, when I first saw your new camera, I was amazed, and I was asking you a lot of questions. So, yeah, for the people at home who don't know, what is your equipment? Yeah, so I use, when I first started streaming, uh, I used one camera, or that was a webcam. I used a Logitech C920. And a lot of people know that webcam. You can get it for like 50 bucks uh, or something like that. And then I just basically, I use that for a long time. And it's still my face cam. Um, eventually, um, I upgraded because I thought, would I watch my content? And when I answered that honestly, I'd be like, it'd be nice if it looked a little better. Like, I enjoy the content, but it'd be nice if it looked a little better. So I, I took a dive. I spent, oh man, I spent almost $1,000. Just letting anyone know out there. And I bought some extra like add-ons, like stands, whatnot. And I bought a Canon EOS M200 mirrorless camera. New. Um, and I've been so satisfied with what I've been able to make with it. it. It's really crazy. Like I haven't made any YouTube recordings, stuff like that. But for streams, it's been top-notch. I'm super happy with it. Um, and that's what I use today for my cube cam. And then... Now I use, um, my microphone is just some sort of NW800 microphone. It's an XLR microphone. I have an audio interface to convert the XLR to a USB signal, something like that. Because uh, I used to record music. So the audio is very like primitive. Like I'll, Most people these days will use USB microphones. Um, so I wouldn't recommend my gear to anyone else. But yeah, you guys are right. You can always find my gear on my, um, on my panels as well. I think um, for software, um, I use OBS Studio. I used to use Streamlabs OBS, but I was a little bit skeptical of the bloatware. I was a little bit skeptical of the lack of flexibility to make my stream unique to me. So I started using OBS Studio and never going back. OBS Studio is the place to be, at least in my opinion. I agree. Um, yeah, OBS. I use OBS. Streamlabs OBS is really good if you want to like import overlays. It's kind of like... Uh, I don't know how to explain it. It's like iMovie, and OBS is like Premiere Pro. It's it's like the advanced version of Streamlabs OBS. It- yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. But like basically, Streamlabs OBS is just the easiest way to get into streaming. So if you're just starting out, you're yeah. just no problem going to Streamlabs OBS. Just know that if you want to do it, like you're gonna get a lot more. You're gonna have more information, and you want to be able to apply it using OBS Studio. Yeah, another big thing that Streamlabs OBS has that OBS doesn't have, I'm pretty sure, is the Command Z function or control if you're on Windows. Like, if you mess up something when you're um, preparing your stream, you can't do, like, undo on OBS, but I'm pretty sure you can on Streamlabs OBS. So if you make a lot of mistakes, that's one thing I wish that OBS had. You should probably go for Streamlabs OBS, but once you get more used to OBS, you won't make as many mistakes. So I don't think the Command Z thing isn't that big of a problem. Yeah, I thought it's pretty gonna... dumb. The studio can't do that, but you're absolutely right. So here's a Q&A section. You guys submitted these questions in our Discord server. Uh, please don't forget to join it. Uh, link will be in the description below, wherever you're listening. All right, so let's get started with the first question. Uh, what is the most fun when it comes to streaming? I used to think the most fun when it came to streaming was solving. Um, and then that... That quickly faded. 
I, I realize that the when I want to stream, the reason that I come to stream is basically to interact with all the people that frequent my stream. At this point, like I call them my friends at this point. All the people that I know. Like it's a very intimate group and it it's what makes time fly for me. So like it doesn't really matter how, how good or bad my times are. Um doesn't really matter how my mood is going into it. It usually goes up. Um and then it doesn't really matter what I stream too. So like I don't just stream cubing. These days I'm almost like fifty fifth like someone was making a joke about this earlier, but I'm not even a cubing streamer anymore. I stream like fifty fifty cubing content and chess content. Um I do a little just chatting and I do some random things like you know, I used to do Pokemon, not anymore. But then I realized like why I'm okay jumping around and all that stuff is because I have fun either way. And it's because of the people that are there. So that's pretty much the most fun when it comes to streaming. Just getting everyone in, everyone chilling, having fun, and then Yeah, that's uh definitely my audience. That's just what's fun in YouTube in general, like any social media uh-huh. platform. Any social media, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I should follow up on that real quick though. I, I realized that my question is probably catered to someone like when you think about it, like it's only fun when people are in there and that's true. Um, so like people are thinking like, but I need X amount of viewers to, to have that. And I'll, the way I'll challenge that is you really don't. So the chances are that you're going to get one person in your stream is very high. Like maybe two, three, four, like, I guess that's questionable, but all you need is that one. It could even be a real life friend. And then the same rules, the same things apply. That's the same enjoyment that you can get out of it. Just really have fun with the people that are there. It doesn't matter how many. It's like you don't need a lot of friends. You just need the one friend, if that makes sense. So don't be discouraged. Still, you're still find that enjoyment. Looking under your recently streamed categories, you have Rubik's Cube, Chess, Just Chatting, and uh, PGA Tour 2K21. And yeah, that's that's a big variety of different things. I mean, Chess and Cubing might be similar because like different opens and different solutions. It's kind of kind of cool um and yeah you're almost at a thousand followers which is really really cool so yeah congrats make sure to go follow him where do you see the future of cubing streams and how quickly do you see it becoming a mainstay like youtube cubers yeah so i actually made i think i saw this question and then i made i made a youtube video surrounding it and then because i really wanted to hash out what i thought about it um the long story short of it is I think personally, cube streaming is here to stay. Whether or not like how big it is is probably a different conversation. But just what cube streams remind me of is the social interaction I get from cube comps. So what are we doing at competitions when we're not competing? I, I mean, assuming you're not staff or um, a delegate like me and being responsible, what you should be doing or what you're probably doing is cubing and talking with your friends. You're you're at your round table, you're doing your thing. And that that's pretty much exactly like how 90% of cube streams go anyways. So I think it's going to stay and I think there will be an interest and engagement in it, especially while like competitions are still scarce. But just in general, the feeling of having it just at any time you want, that's why I think it'll stay. I love the idea of cubing and just chatting just kind of being one category. And that's what makes it really interesting to me. And I think a lot of people crave that. I think people, if you're if you're subscribed to Cubehead on YouTube, he literally made a two-hour solve session video and people were watching it. And what were they doing? They were probably watching and solving it, right? Like, of course, they're probably looking for the Easter eggs. But 
Um, that's the idea. Like the content is here to stay. The long, the super drawn out long form queue content. Like it's not as boring as people think it is. If you're into that sort of thing, I, I would say if it becomes a mainstay like YouTube cubers, YouTube has this longevity advantage in a sense that you could search reviews from 2012, 2013, right? I think you guys have probably mentioned it before. Like, if I want to look at a Diane Zanchi uh, review, I can. And what is it going to do? It's going to add a view to that video made almost 10 years ago. And that's not something that exists on Twitch. So in terms of it being bigger than YouTube, I, I mean, I seriously have my doubts. But I think it, it's going to be extra. It's not going to take away from YouTube at all. YouTube is not going to take away from Twitch. It's just going to be extra content for people. I don't see a reason why one would eat into the other. Yeah, I guess they can, like, grow through separate different paths. Like, you normally don't associate uh, Facebook with YouTube. But it has a community. It's not like it's out in the dust. It has a community. So I think that's kind of important in terms of the growth of other pl uh, social media platforms and cubing. The last question is, do you think cubing channels, or in this case, also Twitch channels, could hit 10 million subscribers or followers? Hmm. Well, I guess 10 million could happen in a lot of different ways. Um, my belief is that cube content is the next... My belief, I think a lot of people are interested in it, but my belief is that cube content would be the next chess content. Um... But the problem with YouTube cube content right now is I think people are already experiencing this. That's why we're seeing a lot of different type of content on YouTube now. But it's cookie cutter. It's review, um, unboxing, uh, um, I don't know, thought piece on the cube compared to the rest of the market. Why it's too expensive or why it's going to change the market forever kind of thing. Um, and it's just, uh, you know, rinse and repeat. Um, so I don't know in terms of like 10 million is way more than just keepers. So it, it's got to be something beyond that. Um, I think there are some really solid YouTube channels that have a chance to have content that they expand enough to where that's a possibility. Um, in terms of Twitch, um, there's, they're going to go hand in hand. If there's a YouTube channel or if there's multiple YouTube channels that hit that, um, that big of an audience, it's going to um, flood into Twitch. And then if somehow Twitch gets that audience first, maybe through, you know, people looking for weird, like, puzzle things, then it, it's going to flow into YouTube as well. I, I think, like, it's going to, they're going to be interlocked forever. And I think it can. I think, long story short, yeah, it can definitely reach that level, in my opinion, the way I view Cube content is today. Yeah, uh, there's this uh, YouTube channel called QB. It has it, it recently hit 3 million subscribers, I think, and I'm pretty sure that's the biggest cubing channel. Um, I'm pretty sure he just got famous off of one video, but still 3 million subscribers for non-cubers. I think it just needs, like, one really big video to get big. Like, Despacito, you need just another video with 7 billion views, and then you can get famous. I think just he needs, like, a big a big video that can get him to 10, mil to, to 10 million. Right now he's at uh, 3 million, so I think 10 million is very doable. Yeah, so thanks. Uh, what I was going to say is it it's going to take it's it's not going to happen like organically. It's going to take something of a a huge advertising kind of thing. Cuz I think if you walk down a street and you're holding a cube, you're solving a cube, people are inherently interested. Um but it's it's more of a a scheme of how people are going to be exposed to it. Like 
I have it's probably going to take some sort of marketing from sort of sort of big company. It, it's probably going to take maybe a new documentary. Um, I mean, if you guys know the Speedcubers, check it out by the way. The Speedcubers on Netflix. If you haven't watched it, <laughs> you're you're living way under a rock there. But it's going to take stuff like that. It's going to take stuff like even though the Speedcubers got nominated, them winning whatever award they're going to they're supposed to win stuff like that. And after that kind of thing happens, then everything else follows suit. Like the the content will probably stay the same, but just more people will be exposed to it. That's my hunch, and that's my guess. And uh, I'm just assuming it's going to take something like that. To be honest, I had a very long spew that I put inside the Discord Q and A. If you're not already joined, join our Discord server for this podcast. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not going to say the whole entire thing because that would take way too long. But basically, my current thoughts are. Yes, it's possible, but it is going to take a while because if you look back a couple years ago, what was considered a big cubing channel at the time, take Thrust for example, I think he had 70 to 80,000 subscribers if I'm not wrong, and now you compare it to what we consider a big cubing channel now, like JPerm who has almost 500,000 subscribers, then you can definitely see the growth inside the cubing community as well as the YouTube cubing, so eventually it'll reach there, it's just a matter of time, but it probably will take a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, here's the thing. Looking at the WCA, the World Cube Association website, uh, there are approximately 150,000 people that actually are on the thing. (laughs) So, if you- I just did a bunch of math. And if you double that number, so 300,000, that's 450,000 people that cube. So, if you're trying to reach a 10 billion, you're gonna have to grow artificially. Which isn't necessarily the best, but theoretically it could happen. Like, for example, non-cubers that watch this really cool Rubik's Cube trick, they subscribe. Exactly. They never look at it for another 10 years or the rest of their life. So, um, yeah, that's definitely one of the reasons why I think it's going to hit, sadly, 10 billion subscribers. Yeah, um, well, that's pretty much right that that's exactly like what i was thinking too like there's not actually 10 million cubers like uh who are actually frequenting the platform um what i was going to say is i I was kind of driving home the point and is really um even though that we're asking these questions and i ask these questions myself like when it comes to actually going through the process of making a content just making sure that you're not skipping the process making sure that you're not focusing on the end goal but just focusing on the journey that you're taking so, like, a good example is, uh, I think a very reasonable way that, like, more people get exposed to keeping is the world championships being held and it becoming more of a spectacle. Maybe Rubik's will contribute. And I think, by the way, what Rubik's do- is doing is, I-, I love what they're doing personally. I think they're trying to expand their outreach and um, get more people into the cube. Um, but, like, the world championships, how are the world champions going to be held and how are they going to be held in the most fun way in the most WCA uh, formatted way, like actually going through the process and making sure everything is right. If you're too focused on the end, you'll, you'll probably skip some steps that are crucial for people to see you at the end. You'll never get there. So that's really like, even though I think about it sometimes myself, um, I just I just try not to anymore. And I tr- that's what I tell people now when, they're, uh, when they ask me, like, just don't worry about it. And that's the same thing how you get better at streaming too. Just worry about what you're doing in the moment and then how you're going to get better from there. Then everything else will come naturally. 
All right, and I think that does it for us. Um, thank you guys for watching this episode of the KiraCast podcast. Please don't forget to follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on YouTube, and just, if you're listening on any other platform, just do, like, follow or something like that. I We're on a lot of platforms. I cannot count them anymore. And yeah, uh, thank you to Chai for coming on. We really appreciated it. And Make sure to go follow him on YouTube and and Twitch. He's and, getting uh, really close to 1,000, so that'd be really cool. Right. Yeah, so don't forget to use discount code uh, CHAI at Google.com for 5% off your order. Yep. Uh, thanks for coming on, for coming and on. see you all next one.